This is The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back. It's Deb Hutton sitting in for Rush Nair this afternoon. In fact, all this week, it's been such a pleasure to be part of this. And I love the 4.30 uh, half hour because it is a time when I get to be joined by our smart speakers. Joining me this afternoon, Aaron Morrison, longtime political strategist and now principal at Morrison Comms. Jamie Ellerton, founding partner at Canaptis and longtime political strategist. And Rob Benzi, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. Welcome, everybody, to the rush. Let's get at it. There is a new poll out, Nanos Research. If a an election were held today, the Conservatives would win 166 seats, the Liberal 53, the NDP 20, Green 1, Block 22, and there are 76 too close to call. However, if you factor in those uh, where the Liberals or the Conservatives or the NDP or others are leaning, you end up with a pretty solid majority out of the 338 seats for the Conservatives. Rob Benzie, I'm going to start with you. What do you think about this? Well, Deb, there's no question that if an election were held today, the Conservatives would win and Pierre Polyev would be Prime Minister. That's I don't think that there's very many serious people who would dispute that. Uh, we had a poll in the Star this week from Abacus Data that showed uh, Mr. Polyev's uh, party is at 37% and the Liberals are at 27%, so it's a 10-point lead. Um, but it was a 19-point lead last month, so in the same survey. So if it's narrowing, and it may be narrowing, I don't know. Um, that could be a, a make for an interesting 2024. But the bottom line is it's not in the interest of Justin Trudeau or Jagmeet Singh to call an election based on the polls that we're seeing right now. So there won't be an election. Yeah, and the poll that you mentioned, Rob, the NDP were, were flatlined, essentially. No mm-hmm. movement whatsoever, yeah. even though yeah. they would argue they had had, it was, it was just at the time of the, of the uh, plan for the dental plan being announced, they would argue they had a very good period of time. Aaron Morrison, your thoughts on where we are politically at the federal level? Yeah, I agree with Rob Benzi, Deb. I don't think we're going to see an election uh, right away. Jagmeet Singh is happy with the dental care plan, and so that seems to buy the Trudeau Liberals a little bit of time. I think we have to be honest that Trudeau's numbers are suffering because people are suffering. He, you know, he hasn't done much to deal with the cost of living and the housing crisis. People just generally don't feel like they're better off than they were four years ago. They gave the Conservatives a hard look, and that's why we've seen Pierre Polyev's numbers come up over the last few months. I think, though, Polyev had a terrible couple weeks. It looks to me like the kinder, softer image the party really carefully put together for him might be slipping a little bit. Um, I, I didn't like his no vote on the free trade agreement with Ukraine. I thought that was awful. Um, and then he, uh, in that sort of attempt to pull a stunt at the end of the session, he voted no on like everything in the House of Commons as far as funding goes. He voted no on aid for Ukraine. He voted no on mental health funding. He voted no on housing. Uh, and so I think, I think realistically, those, that number slip that we saw from Nanos is real. Jamie, I'll get you to respond to that. Yeah, I think uh, the Conservatives under Pierre Pauly have, have had a sense of discipline and focus uh, that they've not had under more recent leaders. Uh, the kind of shenanigans of what you see going on in the House on any given day, I, I don't think it's really causing massive fluctuations. Uh, quite frankly, I just don't think the average Canadian is paying that close attention. But I do think one of the things you've seen in more recent weeks is the Liberals have finally showed up for an actual fight 
uh, and they're starting to sharpen their elbows and start to try and attack Pierre Polyev and his credibility and his motivations. And so for the better part of a year, uh, Pierre and the conservative team have been out traveling and really empathizing with Canadians on the hurt and struggle they're facing and experiencing as it relates to cost of living and inflation uh, and presenting real solutions that he's doing it in parts of forgotten Canada that don't always get national politicians winning. Uh, and he's building real rapport and talking to people at their level in their communities that I think is kind of what's bolstering these numbers. And so if we know the next election is ultimately going to be fought in the lower mainland and here in the greater Toronto area, uh, getting people to know Pierre now and building that kind of brand trust relationship between Canadians and Pierre uh, and acting on a values basis to what he wants to do in government to fix the problems that we're seeing. I think the groundwork's there. Conservatives aren't going to take anything for granted. The election's upwards of maybe two years away, fall 2025. Uh, and so there's a lot, a lot that can happen between, between now and then. But uh, I think conservatives think it's been a good year and they're going to continue to hold Justin Trudeau to account. Rob Benzie, I'm going to invoke host prerogative here and go back to you on this topic because we've talked a little bit in the last, all of us have talked quite a bit, I guess, um, those of us who watch things as closely as the four of us do, about the early branding by the provincial conservatives of liberal leader Bonnie Crombie and how, I believe, how important that was. I do wonder your perspective on whether you think uh, it is too late for the liberals, given uh, the challenges that their, their own leader has to undo some of the positive things that have been uh, done around uh, Polyev's image. Uh, it might be, Deb, and I think Jamie's right. I mean, the, what's changed recently is the Liberals have finally shown some focus and some discipline. And Deb, you know this, having, having worked at the highest levels of government, if you don't have focus and discipline uh, and it's a scattergun approach, it can just be messy and uh, unkempt. And that's what they have looked. Uh, they have looked pretty, pretty lousy for a long time. But I think uh, they, they kind of gave Polyev a free pass. I mean, he's been leader for more than a year now, and they really haven't uh, dusted him up yet as much as you think they would have. Now, he, is, he has given them a lot of material. I mean, the kind of fear-mongering that they did uh, toward Aaron O'Toole and, and Andrew Scheer um, actually could stick to Polyev more because of some of the stuff that he has said in the past or some of the, the, some of the, the, the stances that, they, that the liberals perceive he's taken in the past. And I think that's going to be interesting to see um, if, if, they, if they manage to do that. I mean, I think the, the Tories, rather, did a really, really effective job uh, rebranding him this summer, the remake, you know, the glasses, the, the jackets. I, don't, I personally don't, don't like the sartorial choices that, they, that he made. I think a black T-shirt <laughs> with a blue blazer is not a good look. But someone who knows more about these things than I do thinks it, it worked. And clearly his numbers show that he, uh, he is well ahead of, of Prime Minister Trudeau. But... Like I, Justin Trudeau is uh, a little bit like Doug Ford. He's one of those people who get who inexplicably gets underestimated and then surprises you. Um, I I would have thought that no politician could have survived the blackface scandal of 2019 in the middle of a campaign, and he still won that election. So I don't know. I I would never count out uh, the Liberals because they are a very durable brand federally, no matter what the polls say now. So we're days away from uh, the Online News Act coming into full effect. Stories out today, uh, I spoke to our tech expert on this earlier, that there is a $100 million fund available uh, as part of the deal with Google on the part of the government, and that those uh, that amount is going to be capped for individual broadcasters, print getting a big chunk of it. Aaron Morrison, do you think this will be enough? 
I think it's a really good start, Deb. I'm excited about this. And the thing that I was the most happy to read uh, was that eligibility is going to be based on the number of full-time journalists that an outlet employs. So we've seen now for years, for many years, we've seen, you know, every few weeks we get news of more layoffs uh, in the media landscape across the country. And there is some hope here that that is going to stop. I think ultimately... Uh, more journalists means more ability for news outlets to cover Canada in a really diligent and thorough way. It means more holding the politicians to account. It means more telling our story. So um, is it enough? I don't know, but uh, I'm hopeful. Jamie Ellerton. Uh, I don't know if I share Aaron, Aaron's optimism. I think perhaps the best thing that comes out of this deal is that Google will continue to search index Canadian media outlets and not turn off access like Facebook did or Meta did through their platforms, Facebook uh, and Instagram. I think the fact that the CBC is going to be getting part of this funding, continuing to compete with private uh, media outlets, both large and small, is, I think, uh, a bad policy mistake. And uh, ultimately, if you look at like just how we're going on what year, like 15 now of like annual cut season at outlets large and small across the country. So I think 100 million is a drop in the bucket and uh, I don't think much is going to come from it. Rob Benzie, I will hold this over till after the break so you can comment as as the journalist on the panel. Aaron Morrison, Jamie Ellerton, Robert Benzie, thanks so much for joining me. We will be back uh, with our smart speaker panel after the break. You're listening to Deb Hutton filling in for Reshmi Nair this afternoon on The Rush on News Talk 1010. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me. It's Deb Hutton sitting in for Reshmi Nair for the next hour and a bit. And I am joined by our Friday smart speakers, Aaron Morrison, longtime political strategist and now principal at Morrison Comms. Jamie Ellerton, founding partner at Canaptis and longtime political strategist. And Robert Benzie, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. When we uh, broke for traffic, we were still talking uh, a little bit about the uh, new Online News Act, which comes into full force next week. Robert, I will give you a chance to talk about the $100 million that's going to be distributed because as a member of the Toronto Star, print is getting a good chunk of the funding. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I have a, obviously a conflict of interest because it, it, it is helpful to my company. I mean, of the $100 million, $63 million is going to newspapers and and uh, and this is from Google. It's not tax money. I think it's important to remind people. But uh, it's, ba- it's it is based on uh, on a formula of around seventeen thousand dollars for every full time journalist that each news business employs. The problem is, and I've spoken to our, our, your friend and my friend uh, Jordan Bitov, who's the owner of the Star now, and you, you and I went to university with Deb uh, Western back in the glory days of the eighties. Um, but uh, it's it's. The problem with it is it's a bit of a race to the bottom because star journalists earn more than journalists at a lot of other places. So it would it, it would be almost better for a company or a news outlet to have half as many journal or twice as many journalists earning half as much, and they and they would get more of a subsidy. So from Google, so I I think I'm not I don't I don't think it's a, a perfect solution. I think it's better than nothing. Um, I also think that the previous minister, um, Pablo Rodriguez, really messed this up, and Pascal Sanonge had to come in and clean it up because this is a deal that Google would agree would have agreed to one year ago. So this thing has been uh, pretty badly bungled from the get-go. So this is a topic that I'm going to uh, head to our phone lines over in the next hour uh, after the 5 o'clock news at some point, and that is the decision to rename Young Dundas Square Sankofa Square. That motion passed at City Council last night, I think it was 19 to 2, 
And the word Sankofa is, has its roots in Ghana, and it refers to the act of reflecting on and reclaiming teachings from the past, which enables us to move forward together. The sentiment is lovely. I have a problem with the fact, uh, first of all, that we're renaming the square, but that, that debate has come and gone, but that we're choosing something whose roots are not in Canada. Jamie Ellerton, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think I share your view on this, Deb. I kind of, it seems like a weird choice to have something that doesn't have any real connection to Canada uh, and kind of speaks to uh, our city's diversity, which truly is one of the most diverse places on the world. And I think uh, a shining example that they could have drawn on. Uh, when I think about Young and Dundas Square today, quite frankly, it feels run down. Uh, you, when you get off the subway and go into the mall or you're going to Moon Palace or Tim Sum right nearby, uh, you always have to kind of dodge people who are preaching about something and like kind of screaming at you and it's not a really pleasant place so i don't know if they're going to rename it and make it a place that people actually want to go to fine but uh i thought it was a bit of a weird choice aaron morrison your thoughts on it i think a lot of canada's roots are not in canada so i love this choice i think it's i think it's beautiful i think it helps reflect the diversity of this city um and honestly i've I'll get on my little soapbox here. Every time there is a street to be renamed or a statue to be taken down, there needs to be a really thorough discussion. I'm not saying I'm going to get on board and support that choice every time. But I really have had enough of people who say they, you know, they support equity, they support reconciliation. But as soon as there is a cost or uh, an inconvenience... Uh, or there's something to pick at, like, like you know, the, the origins of the new name or whatever, then all of a sudden they're not on board anymore. And, and I don't love that. Um, I think combating racism is not always convenient. Um, I also have to say, I mean, Mayor Olivia Chow is on a hot streak when it comes to getting things done with this city council and its partners. So uh, good on the mayor for uh, winning those 19 votes. Robert Benzie. I, you know, Deb, my problem with with all of this, and I'm glad they're not going to rename Dundas Street, which would be very expensive and ultimately pointless, since most people would still call it Dundas Street, um, is Sir Henry Dundas was actually an abolitionist. Yes, he was a compromiser, and he compromised in 1807, and did that extend slavery in the British Empire a little bit? Yes, but it, back in those times, uh, you had to make compromises to get, to get some things done, as you do now, uh, but clearly... Nowadays, we don't want to compromise, and we want to apply twentieth, twenty-first century um, mores on on to uh, decisions of the of the early nineteenth century. So I think that's problematic. I I also I find this puzzling. The name is puzzling because I mean Ghana is is an illiberal country. I mean it's a Ghanaian a word from Ghana, and I, I and, the, and the sentiment is lovely, and I agree with the sentiment. The problem is Ghana is a place that the Canadian government re- doesn't recommend um, uh, L- LGBTQ uh, S plus folks to go to because it's not safe, and and there are laws uh, that are illiberal there. And I'm not really sure that city council kind of looked at stuff like that before they rushed forward with, with this with this new name. I think I think perhaps some more due diligence should have been done. Uh, I'm not sure they thought it through, and I'm inevitably there's going to be a problem down the road. So today, uh, the House uh, of Commons are taking a break after a fairly tumultuous last couple of weeks. The House of Commons Speaker, Greg Fergus, rose to talk about the the holidays and, and what they had been doing and to, again, 
apologize and thank MPs for giving him a second chance. Jamie Ellerton, I think this is like the third chance for Greg Fergus. Uh, He screwed up, in my view, on the original uh, issue, which was his video to outgoing speaker, uh, sorry, outgoing Ontario Liberal leader, John Fraser. He went to Washington at a time when his job is to be in the parliament, uh, taking care of things, get another minor slip, which I didn't care too much about. But in my view, it's three strikes, you're out. I can't believe this guy stood up and thanked them for a second chance. Like, is he is he damaged goods, or am I overreacting here? Jamie? By the bell. If, uh, sorry, I think I got lost the connection there for a sec, Deb. Uh, yeah, I think he's actually saved by the bell. Had we not been going into the Christmas week, <laughs> I think he probably would have bumbled into another few weeks of controversy. I think the real question for Mr. Fergus here is, like, he could have just apologized, moved on, and like let it go, but he just kept making the situation worse. And that's why this judgment's is like on a day-to-day basis with this bunch of spotlight. Uh, he's going to have some real issues doing the job in the fall ahead. So, saved by the Christmas recess for uh, Mr. Fergus. Aaron Morrison. I agree with you, Deb. The... Thank you for the second chance. No, no, thank you for the fourth chance. <laughs> Um, I think Fergus's initial apology was nonsense. He tried to defend this by saying he didn't know what the video was going to be used for, like as if he didn't know that John Fraser was, you know, done his time as the Ontario Liberal leader. There would be a convention. The rest of the province knew. The rest of the country knew. Is he living on the moon behind a rock with his fingers in his ears? Come on. Um I will say, though, any party that gets on their high horse about this particular transgression will get bucked off real fast. Every party has a member who makes this mistake from time to time, both provincially and federally. It happens. Uh, And um, like case in point, we found out this week that Andrew Scheer was just fined. That's Andrew Scheer, former Conservative leader and former Speaker of the House, uh, for doing like the exact same thing very recently. So... Um, we should all uh, we should all be a little cautious with our criticisms of this one. My apologies to Robert Benzie, Queen's Park Bureau Chief, for not getting his answer in on that. But thank you, Rob. Thank you, Jamie Ellerton of Canaptus and Aaron Morrison of Morrison Comms. So appreciate your time this afternoon. Thanks for joining me. Coming up after the news, we are going to talk a little bit about an immigration story that I've got riled up. You're listening to The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network.